It's time to talk UK sports with the voice of the Wildcats, Tom Leach. This is the Leach Reports Radio Network. Join in the discussion by tweeting your questions to at Leach Report or email leachreport at gmail.com. And you can call 877-904-1080. Now, along with an outstanding lineup of guests and broadcast to the most passionate fan base in America, the Big Blue Nation, here's the voice of the Wildcats. Tom Leach. Hello, everybody. Welcome in to our Friday edition of the Leach Report. And we are, uh, Gabe was uh, slated, to, to Gabriel slated to host today. We're having a little technical difficulty. So we'll roll with the punches for the uh, moment. We will tell you John Hale from the Courier Journal is coming up on the show today. And also, uh, Kyle Tucker, who uh, we did not connect with on Wednesday. So Kyle in the second half from the athletic John Tucker or John Hale in the uh, first half talking UK football as uh, we'll get right into the wildcat news of the day. And it, it starts with the big news yesterday being uh, the UK athletics board meeting where Mitch Barnhart, UK AD talked about the plan for uh, fans at Kroger field this fall, starting on October 3rd with Kentucky hosts Ole Miss. And it'll be about 20%, essentially, 12,000 fans that will be able to get in. Masks will be required for everybody that attends. For those that have suites, they can have a maximum of 10 people or 20%, whichever number is greater. Uh, no tailgating allowed before the games. Uh, games will uh, You'll buy tickets on a game-by-game basis based on K-Fund priority points. And that information will roll out here in uh, a few days, according to what uh, Mitch said yesterday. He said uh, later today the ticket office and K-Fund will communicate directly. So some of you may have already started to get some of this information about uh, how the seating will work. Uh, we'll see, I guess, th- this weekend. Um, well, we saw last night a little bit about um, sporting events with fans back in the stands with the Kansas City Chiefs game where they beat the Texans, and uh, they had fans in their stadium out in Kansas City. There will be uh, fans in games around the country uh, today, some of or this weekend, I should say, some of them anyway. UofL and those hosting Western Kentucky, and they've got essentially the, the same plan at uh, UofL, I think, in terms of uh, percentage of uh, the capacity, et cetera. So we'll see what that looks like, see what it sounds like. Uh, it seemed, you know, you could uh, hear crowd the crowd at uh, Kansas City last night and watching that game. It's not like you know, a regular uh, game, but um, nevertheless, you could still uh, get a feel for uh, a little bit of a, t- a little bit of noise from the crowd um, in that game. So, um, if you're a season ticket holder, you should be uh, getting some information soon. If you do not already have it, uh, Sky Clark yesterday cut his list to four schools. UCLA, North Carolina, Kentucky, and Memphis. Now, he's in the class of 2022, and he has maintained that he's going to stay in the class of 2022. He said yesterday, my mindset right now is to stay in 2022. Of course, key words right there are right now. Um, he wants to play, he says, uh, with his brother for another a second season, and his brother is a, a freshman right now. So we'll see if that stands and he stays in the uh, 2022 class. Uh, but 
uh, for now, those are the final four schools. And uh, we were talking about this with uh, Chris Fisher earlier this week from Cat's Paws, that um, North Carolina seems to be the school from the folks that follow the recruiting scene closely that is uh, supposedly making a, a big move with Sky Clark. Uh, coming up tonight, you've got high school football starting around the state. Huge game here in Lexington with uh, several future Kentucky players, uh, North Harden, visiting Frederick Douglass High School. There are two commits for Kentucky on each side, plus other players that Kentucky is offering scholarships to. And a lot of these games, that one included, will be uh, streamed through the, uh, you can go to the khsa.org website and uh, find out information on this. A lot of schools around the state are going to be able to stream their games, so it's very limited attendance, as you would expect. So we'll uh, see um, how that looks tonight, but uh, I think I'll probably try to tune in part of uh, that game tonight between uh, North Harden and Douglas. Links to the stories that we talk about each day, you can find those on the Bud Light Leach Report page at TomLeachKY.com. And, of course, uh, we should uh, pay homage to those that we lost on the 9-11 on this 19th anniversary of uh, that tragedy. Um, I was doing a morning radio show with Dave Baker. Uh, back in those days, and uh, I can remember very clearly how that unfolded in the first uh, plane hit the Trade Center, and uh, we were thinking it was some type of accident. Pilot had, you know, passed out, etc. And then the second one hits, and very quickly, you know, you realize that it was something um, much, more, much, much worse. So uh, we remember those who we lost on uh, this day uh, 19 years ago. And with that, we'll get to the break. I'm back with John Hale from the CJ. It's the Leach Report. We're served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. You're tuned to Talk Radio 1080 and the Leach Report. And visit TomLeachKY.com for more news and views on the cats. Quarter past the top of the hour. It's the Leach Report. For a Friday, John Hale joins us on the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline from Courier-Journal.com. Um, we'll uh, start with, uh, I guess there were two news items yesterday, the post-practice interview and the uh, the seating plan, and we'll start with the latter. And I, I would have to think, John, this was pretty much what was expected, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, when Louisville came out with their plan early in the week, uh, it was 20%. They had initially uh, released a plan for 30%, and the governor had kind of pushed back on that. And so when Louisville's final numbers came out, it said in their report that they had worked with Kentucky and Western Kentucky to kind of come up with their guidelines. So it made sense that everybody was going to have a similar number. The, the governor's office certainly wasn't going to have one of them at 20% and let another one do 30%. So I, I think it basically ended where we all thought it was going to be, but it's good that it's out there now, especially for all these people who have tickets and, and can now make the decision, you know, knowing what the situation is, whether they want to go to games, you know, how they can get tickets if they do want to go, and, and then they're, whether they want to refund or whether they want to roll that money ahead to next year. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting uh, what the response is um, because, you know, there's going to be a certain percentage of people that uh, I think maybe aren't comfortable uh, going into – a public setting like that, you know, whether it's sporting event, restaurants, whatever. Uh, I saw U of L had some um, 
tickets available still for sale for the Western game. Now, you know, maybe it's because it's it's not as big a name op- opponent that they didn't sell them out, but still, it's uh, you know, it's a sporting event, so it, it's uh, it'll be interesting to see what the what the feedback is that they get. Yeah, it will be, and and I don't know the specifics of the Louisville City Soccer uh, situation, but the initial number they announced was around eight thousand uh, capacity, but their attendance every game has been right at five thousand. So I don't know if they decided oh. to take off some more tickets or if people have not chosen to to come for those reasons. But I'm I'm certain there will be people who have um, who don't feel comfortable going. Um, I don't know what U of L's base season ticket holder number is, but Kentucky's is generally around between twenty and thirty thousand, I think. And so, obviously, there's a significant number of people who have season tickets who won't be able to come in if everybody wants to go. So it's an interesting, you know, kind of situation. How many from that group um, are comfortable, and then how many from that group are left kind of on the outside? And what are they doing for students? Yeah, we don't have an answer for that yet. It said in the release that there'll be more information coming. Uh, whatever student tickets are available are going to be on a single game basis only. Um, so I'm sure that they're probably going to sit back and look and see how many of their season ticket holders uh, decide they want to come and then make a decision from there uh, based on what uh, availability for students is there. I would hope that they find a way to get some students in. It's really interesting. I think Auburn for that first game is doing only students, um, which obviously – it's not great from a money-making standpoint because student tickets are much cheaper than uh, regular st- tickets. But you know, it is a university, and and all these students are on campus, and you know, trying to live by the same regulations that the football players are to some extent. Uh, so it would be nice to reward those those students and see them, you know, at least in the game for a little bit. And parking is going to be did I see included in the price of a ticket? Yeah, my understanding is that if you have a parking pass already, it probably doesn't change very much. And if you choose to defer, um, you get to hold your parking pass over till next year and your tickets, or you get the refund. So I, I think the parking situation is, is the same as it always is for the people who end up um, with the tickets, whatever your individual situation might be. Talk with John Hale from uh, the a Career Journal. Um, and these the communication with season ticket holders has is it already begun yes uh, as of last night i know um, i have a very close friend who's a season ticket holder and had an email with uh, directions uh, over what he could do to defer get a refund or whatever uh, shortly after the official announcement came out from uh, the university and so i expect there to be more conversations uh, that we had and, and I, if you're out there wondering and you haven't heard from some reason i think you can call the uk ticket office uh, and get some some specifics about your individual situation and what to do moving there. All right, we'll take a quick break. Uh, coming up on 20 past the top of the hour, chat with John Hale from the CJ. We'll come back and uh, talk a little bit about the upcoming football season. Uh, Brad White, defensive coordinator, talked with reporters after practice yesterday. So we'll get into that a little more when we return with John Hale. It's the Leach Report Radio Network. For the Leach Report on Facebook. Show updates, contests, and other cool stuff. Check it out today. Back with John Hale on the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. You can read his coverage of the cats at Courier-Journal.com. And uh, Brad White chatted with you guys after practice yesterday. It was a defense interview day. Um, Anything uh, noteworthy that came out of that for you? 
Um, I, more of the same. I mean, uh, the latest update we got yesterday on the inside linebacker depth, which I think is you know maybe one of the biggest questions for this team, especially with a ten SEC ten game SEC schedule and knowing that you're probably going to have games where people are quarantined or unavailable for contract tracing or whatever else. They the one spot on the roster where there's a really glaring hole in terms of depth is inside linebacker, but you have. DeAndre Square and you have Jamin Davis, who they feel really good about, but their second and third team options are all unproven, whether it's Jared Casey or Marquez Bembry or the two freshmen. Uh, they need those guys to come along and, and help them contribute. It's not going to be a situation where, like some years we've seen, you can just throw your, your top two linebackers out there and expect them to play every every snap of every game. So he's had some encouraging things about those those guys behind, but I think made it clear that, that they still have some work to do and over these next two and a half weeks or whatever until the to the opener, uh, that's going to be an area I think that that merits continued watching. One of the guys, and he's not an inside linebacker, but he's on that second line that they seem to be really high on is J.J. Weaver in uh, his second yep. year. Uh, Mark Stoops uh, was talking about him on uh, Monday on the radio show and uh, hinted that he, he thought he had the ability where he might not even be here. You know, he may be an early exit candidate to the NFL. So. They clearly have a high opinion of J.J. Yeah, absolutely. And I think he's a guy that last year, when as they were trying to experiment and learn with that four-game rule, redshirt rule for the first time, you know, they held him out early because he wasn't quite ready to play. And then towards the second half of the season, they talked a lot about him being ready to contribute. But then it just got to a point where, given the snaps that were available, it just didn't make sense to play him more than the four games and, and burn that year of eligibility. But if that had not been a consideration, if it had been the old rule where you just play um, and, and you lose the year regardless, I think he would have played a lot down the stretch and we would have seen more of him. So he's a guy that I'm definitely interested to watch this year. I think he's going to play a lot. And his ability to rush the passer and, and do some special things might let them you know, do some formational things where they uh, maybe move a guy like Yusuf Corker, who they've talked about playing at, at Sam Linebacker a little bit up in a specific formation to get you know, an inside linebacker, you know, some rest and, and have a couple other outside linebackers out there. It'll be interesting to see how they finagle all of that, but I think uh, getting J.J. Weaver on the field is going to be definitely a priority at times. It, Brad White, and maybe it's his NFL background, but uh, I, I think with um, – and we saw a little bit of this when the, in Josh Allen's last year – uh, he's a guy that's think very open to kind of thinking outside the box a little bit, and you know they've got you know take say all the depth in the secondary. How could you uh, maybe utilize that to to uh, cover another area? Yeah, absolutely, and and I think that that's something that the whole staff has to do a lot right now, just because of the situations of this Good season. Point. I think that they're doing more uh, in the preseason practices, moving guys around to different positions. You don't want to do that at time with young guys because you need them to to master one position to feel comfortable out there. But with their veterans, uh, both offensively and defensively, they've got to cross train those guys because you never know if you're going to get to a game where you know for whatever reason you know both your left guards are out. Well, then you need one of your tackles to play left guard, or if you get to a situation where you're missing a couple linebackers, then you might need a safety to move up there. So that's going to be important for this season specifically, but it also, because of their coaching ability and, and the way you know that, that attitude that Brad seems to have that you mentioned there, I think can help make up for some of the questions you have on the roster at, at specific positions too. The uh, transfer in the secondary from LSU, Kelvin Joseph, he talked to you guys yesterday. Uh, what do you get in terms of what field do you get for uh, what kind of role he will play and impact he will have? 
Yeah, that's an interesting one. He's obviously a super confident guy. I mean, back in the spring before it got shut down, uh, we talked to him once, and he you know, basically said he was the best defensive back in the country or he could play every position out there. He, he has big goals, and he has a lot of talent. He's a top 50 recruit. Uh, Mark Stoops has pumped the brakes a little bit on that at times. They have not been shy at all about talking about how talented he is and his potential, but you know, he still has work to do to, to learn the playbook. and you know, master all the little specifics that Mark wants as a defensive backs coach and Steve Klingsko and, and Frank Buffano, those guys now. Uh, but he's going to play a lot. Uh, it'll be interesting to me to see that's one of those spots where they can move guys around because you have two cornerbacks coming back and, and Brandon Eccles and Cedric Dort, who were both excellent for most of last season. Uh, I don't think either of them is just going to roll over and give up their starting job to Kelvin Joseph because he's such a highly talented recruit. But there are ways they can get those guys on the field at the same time. We've heard already that they've, they've played Brandon Eccles at nickel some. And so in those formations, if, they, if they're comfortable with him at that spot, then you could have Dort, Nichols, and Joseph all together. And that's not even mentioning, you know, Jamari Brown, who started some games at corner last year, and Jay Devonshire, who's a retro freshman, they're really, really, really high on. So the secondary, I think all those guys are going to play and probably being able to rotate, especially against a 10-game SEC schedule, is, is going to be helpful. So I expect Joseph to play a lot. He's supposed to be really physical, obviously really athletic. Uh, but I, I don't know that uh, I would be in the camp that expects him to come in and start from day one and you know be some sort of all-SEC defender right off the bat, mostly because the talent around him and the other good players at that position who are going to need to play too. A uh, little less than a minute here. On the offensive side, we haven't touched on anybody under the radar that uh, fans might uh, hear more about once the season starts than they've heard to this yeah. point. I mean, Tutan McLean, the running back, is apparently making a lot of impressions as a, as a true freshman out there, even though they're loaded ahead of them. They're going to need a bunch of guys to play there. That's one to watch. And then that second group of receivers, they still need guys to stand out. And Demarcus Harris, who is a Redshirt freshman was on the depth chart all last year, but didn't play a ton because of just the situation. The offense, he's gotten a lot of praise recently, and it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me at all if he's a receiver that you're hearing a lot about two or three weeks into the season. Courier Journal dot com to read the coverage of John Clay and the rest of the team there. Thank you, John. Anytime, thanks for having me. It's at John Hale underscore CJ on Twitter. We're halfway home on the Friday edition of the Leach Report, served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. Kyle Tucker next. This is where the Big Blue Nation gathers. It's Talk Radio 1080 and the Leach Report, followed by Kentucky Sports Radio. Second half of our Friday show here on the Leach Report. And welcome on the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline, Kyle Tucker from TheAthletic.com. And uh, Kyle, we have football. NFL got started last night. Got more colleges ramp up this weekend. Are you feeling somewhat normal? Yeah, yeah. I've been down here in Nashville. With, went went to Titans practice yesterday and saw the uh, the uh, legendary Jadavion Clowney in person. Now that he's uh, made it to town, and yeah, what, it, it's starting to feel not normal, but a little closer for sure. Jadavion Clowney that hit in the uh, the bowl game. I think it was the Citrus Bowl Outback against bowl, Michigan. I think it was against Michigan. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's. Yeah, I was watching that game just live, and it's one of those things where you something flashes into your head, and before you, the the rational part of your brain, I guess, kicks in when he hit the guy. It just there was just a, a half second where I actually thought his head had popped off. 
yeah, it's uh, it, it's one of the more sort of stunning and violent things I've ever seen uh, in football. It, it, clearly, I'm surprised he hasn't been like a more of a star in the NFL. I think he's, he's made a couple yeah. of pro bowls, but uh, in college, he was just an unstoppable force. And I think he was on his official visit to South Carolina uh, the night Kentucky lost to them. Maybe in Cal- Cal's first year, would that have been right? Twenty ten. Uh oh! You mean with the basketball team? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It would have been uh, yeah, twenty ten. Yeah, I'm thinking he was the, after the, the uh, Obama call when they were nineteen and zero. Exactly down there in sand, sandstorms, sandstorms, sandstorms. And they uh, rushed the court after the game, and you know, uh, some kid claimed Demarcus hit him or swung at him or something. It's like, it's like, yeah, you were in, <laughs> you were in out on the court getting somebody's face. You take what you get. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's still somebody. There's still some guy in Arkansas who's very lucky that uh, uh, one of the Harrison twins didn't take him uh, yes. out of this world. I think it was one of the Harrison twins. There's a photo. Aaron. There's a, a photo that went around. It was a yeah. Arkansas guy getting right in his face. Yeah, it's like uh, he's he's lucky he still has teeth. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, let's uh, start with a little NBA uh, chat because um, Tyler Hero, Bam Adebayo are headed to the Eastern Conference Finals with Miami, and um, for Tyler Hero in particular, did you see anything like this coming in year one? No, <laughs> not not really, uh, and, and I, I got to be honest. I'm not sure. I I was totally confident I could see that coming for Bam. I thought he'd be a good NBA player. I thought Bam Bam's best best days were were still ahead of him, and uh, that he would fit in an NBA style. But I didn't, you know, All Star in year three, probably not. You know, maybe one of the you know, five or well, I think second team all defense, but I mean, he's one of the five or six best defenders on the planet right now, uh, and he's done some incredible work with that in the playoffs. But I mean, for really both of them, if you say would, would I have thought they'd be where they are at this stage in their pro careers, probably not. Um, they're both having great seasons. Bam has become a, a certified star. I think, you know, Tyler is a very uh, reliable bucket getter, you know, and, and just a huge weapon off the bench for Miami. And I don't know, are they the favorite to win the East now? <laughs> kind of feels like it. It does feel like it. I guess they, you know, if Toronto emerges from the other series, they'd probably be the favorite in the favorites role just as they were the, the two seed. I think Miami was the five. But um, if it's Boston, Miami might might well be favored. And then it could end up, you could end up with, what, four Wildcats in the finals if Miami gets there against the Lakers and, Rajon and uh, AD. Yeah, this this has really been the NBA playoffs that sort of uh, the uh, the counter argument for the for a while there. A lot of people, not a lot, but there, there, you could hear some some sort of chatter. And there's a few national folks that would media folks that would say, you know, all these Cal guys get drafted, and none of them are, none of them contribute to winning <laughs> because none of them have won a title, or very few of them have been part of deep playoff runs. And that's a really disingenuous argument because uh, you know all of the high draft picks that Cal had, you know, went to terrible teams. Um, you know, his guys largely were going in the lottery. I mean, he had a lot of guys drafted, but his best players and, and a number of them were going in the lottery. 
many of them in the top ten. And he's got three guys who are number one picks. If you're the number one pick, you're going to a horrible franchise. Um, and so that's going to take some time. And, and sometimes you just do your time at your at, at your first stop and, and do what Anthony Davis did and then go, you know, take take the opportunity to go get on a contender. Uh, but this playoff and, and the bubble in general, if you want to include Devin Booker, who almost dragged the Suns into the playoffs there, has really highlighted – that that you know that that was a, a silly argument, and this has been sort of the the uh, postseason for Kentucky to puff its chest out because they've had these guys be playing huge roles and have huge performances. I mean, Jamal Murray dropping fifty point games and Booker doing what he did uh, early on, and then Anthony Davis has had some monster games for, in the playoffs for the Lakers, and then Bam and Tyler Hero. I think. If you're a Kentucky fan looking for an NBA team to adopt, I don't know why it wouldn't be Miami because they're young. Those guys are going to be around for a while. They're going to they're going to make a few runs. They're led by by Pat Riley. Um, there's, a, there's a lot to like if you're a Kentucky fan in that regard. We're talking with Kyle Tucker from theAthletic.com. So, were you guys have uh, what some kind of new development on breaking news at the Athletic? Yeah, we've got some uh, some new technologies. Often we kind of like the big story, and there may be some gaps where we don't cover every little uh, thing that, that moves uh, because we want to go uh, deep on our stories, but we also want to have our readers continue to be engaged, and uh, if there's something that is uh, important on a particular beat, that it'll be there if you come to our page, and so that we've uh, added some stuff where we can have kind of quick-hitting reactions uh, to news, not going to inundate people with stuff on there, but uh, if something important happens, it, it, it should be there. Um, just adding some, trying to add some service to that uh, membership, to that subscription, and um, I think it'll be a cool, functional uh, thing. So it's theathletic.com or the uh, app, and you can find out more about that. We'll get to a quick break and continue our chat with Kyle here in just a moment. It's the Leach Report Radio Network. We're served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. Back with Kyle Tucker from TheAthletic.com on the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. This week, I think it was a couple of the analysts on the SEC Network, Gene Chizik, the former Auburn coach, Roman Harper, former Alabama player, uh, were asked to build their ultimate SEC coach. And uh, they picked you know, a variety of categories from play calling to leadership to recruiting who their guy was. And when it came to culture of the program and development of players, they wanted uh, a dose of Mark Stoops added to their ultimate SEC coach. Um, think back to when Kentucky hired uh, Mark uh, Mark Stoops, Kyle, and what you thought he was capable of achieving here, and then uh, how that may have changed to where we are now. Well, I mean, I was I was of the impression that that I think a lot of people were that sort of seven and five consistently was the the ceiling um you know and you know you hope you pop up and win eight um now they've you know they went seven and five and seven and five and then popped up one ten and then lost their top two quarterbacks and moved their wide receiver over and still managed to win eight um and now they're in a position where if this had been a normal year uh with the normal schedule i think i would have probably said I think they win nine and, and have a chance to win ten. Um, 
I could have never imagined sort of being in that mindset about Kentucky football uh, when Stoops was hired. Because remember, still at that point, that there were no upgrades. <laughs> uh, you know, there were ideas of them, uh, but the facilities were not good. The stadium wasn't nice. The facilities were not good at all. Um, the program was in a crater, and um, I thought he'd. You know, there'd be a bump in recruiting because he was kind of a, a guy coming from a name program who'd been a, a, a hot coordinator. Um, but I, I really don't. Th- I don't. I don't think anybody is being honest if they tell you they when he got here they thought this is how it would go. Uh, I really don't. I, not even Mitch Barnhart. I mean, I, you know, in his, I'm sure in his dreams. Um, but I think he wanted to get the program back to being one that could get to bowl games every year. Um, or most years, and, and it's become something more than that. So it it doesn't really surprise me um, to hear those guys say that, that they'd want sort of the development piece, because in addition to this huge spike in recruiting, I mean, look at some of the guys that nobody else really wanted that turned out to be great. I mean, Josh Allen, and then it's coming right right after Boogie Watson, almost the almost identical type of story, um, you know, two-star recruits. Um and so they've they've developed as many of those guys as, as they have, you know, spiked up their recruiting. I would think every Kentucky coach, probably since uh, Bear Bryant, maybe at Kentucky, came here. Obviously, you, you take the job. You're, you're optimistic. You think you can be the one to get it done. But you uh, pretty quickly probably came to to realize that you, you had a, a population of the state of Kentucky and the number of Division One prospects it was producing versus the teams you were having to compete against, Georgia's and Florida's and uh, now Texas in the league and you know the numbers of prospects in those states, those home bases. And But it, it seems to me that what Stoops and, and his staff have been able to do is make Kentucky's base both Kentucky and Ohio. And that number is uh, huge uh, compared to what it is just with the state of Kentucky, and probably Kentucky high school football's uh, better than it's ever been. But still, the numbers are numbers are what they are. But you add in Ohio, and all at once, you've got uh, a much better base from a numbers perspective for competing against those states in the South. And all this, I guess, is leading up to say that you know, for a guy like Stoops to now have that at his disposal, and now you can start venturing out into other states. Now you've had success. Um, you've got the facilities, they're paying you and your staff well, that it's, it's not just any job that uh, would lure him away. It would, uh, it would take a lot. Uh, there's a, you know, a chance that uh, Kentucky could, could perhaps build something uh, long-lasting with Mark Stoops. I mean, I've talked to him about that uh, privately just you know, over the last two or three years. Um, I mean, he, it, it will take a monster deal. <laughs> it will take a lot of money. Uh, I would start there. It would take a lot of money because he has a great. I mean, he has one of the best contracts in college football, and one of the best agents, uh, obviously. Um, so it would take a lot of money, uh, and it would also take. It would. He. I would be willing to bet a large percentage of my of my uh, available funds that he would not leave for Kentucky for a place that you wouldn't look at and say they could win a national title there. Um, you know, I, I, for a long time, I wondered like if he would, you know, want to coach Iowa. Um, and maybe he thinks he could win a national title at Iowa. Uh, you know, they've, they've been sort of in the mix every now and then. 
Um, but I think it would take, you know, it would take a big, a big, big, big boy job where they have won national titles in the modern era, where, um, you know, the recruiting base is there, all those things. He's not making a lateral move, um, I don't think, ever again as a head coach. And so, you know, that's a small pool of jobs. And a lot of, and everybody, you know, every up and coming coach wants one of those jobs. Uh, and so when you factor that in, it's not crazy to think of Mark Stoops still being at Kentucky, you know, several years from now, uh, because I think he has built something that's sustainable. Talk with Kyle Tucker from TheAthletic.com. Since we last talked, you've uh, posted a story about Jay Lucas, newest addition to Cal's staff, and what he's looking to do in his new role. Um, tell us about that story. Yeah, I think it's, his hiring is, is was interesting from the start, and it's getting more interesting as, as things are coming out. You know, there, there are these uh, new NCAA legislation. I think just this week, new NCAA legislation that's going to allow for uh, non-full-time uh, assistants to get on the court. Uh, I think basically in lieu of managers, because if you're not, if you don't want to have your managers around your players or you can't or your students are on campus or whatever. Um, and so, and we already know that, you know, there is no off campus recruiting. So all coaches are doing sort of the zooms and the calls. And that's something that even in his regular role, uh, Jay can do. And so you start to go, wait a minute. So he can do, he can basically do 95% of what a full, time assistant can do um which means they've sort of pulled off a, a bit of a, a coup here uh you know you get bruiser in and, and get sort of a trusted confidant and the veteran coach and a guy who's been a head coach at uh, multiple places um to be that steadying influence on the staff but then you bring in jay lucas who's going to recruit and be a big factor in your recruiting he's going to head up the recruiting operation as sort of the, the organizational standpoint but now he can actually sort of be an active fourth recruiter, um, and he can provide some of that player relationship while they're here situation and some of the developmental stuff on the court because of this other loophole. And so it's really, I mean, the more it goes, the more it feels like this was just a home run of an idea. Um, and I think he's going to make a big difference. I, I, I do think Kentucky all the time now is facing new recruiting challenges, but whether it be, you know, somewhere on the horizon, probably relatively soon, high schoolers being able to go straight to the NBA again, uh, this increasing appeal of the G League drug money at players. Um, soon, and, and Jay talked about this, which I hadn't explored a lot, but it's a great point. Like, recruiting is going to include transfers in a big way, and not just recruiting other people's players to transfer to you, but he said recruiting your own players and their families and their circles to stay with you. Um, you better have a finger on the pulse of uh, whoever is the decision maker for that kid, you know, his mom, his you know, coach, whatever, um, while they're here. You better be paying attention to that while they're here. Like, you know, he said they have a bad month, uh, you know, of the season. Don't play as much as they want. Don't play as well as they want. Don't get used how they thought they were going to get used for a couple of weeks. And you got all these coaches who know they won't have to sit out if they can transfer, whispering in their ear, which you shouldn't be doing. And Cal Perry wants everybody, I think, uh, tar feathered and beheaded if they get caught uh, tampering. And, and you understand why. But you better be actively combating that. And I think 
uh, Jay understands all of those challenges for Kentucky and everybody that's trying to recruit and hold their roster together in this new world. Um, and to have a person who's who's uh, singularly focused on that effort, I think, is a pretty big deal. Kyle Tucker from the Athletic dot com, uh, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you can uh, read him not only for coverage of the Cats, but he's also on the uh, Tennessee Titans beat, too, for the Athletic as the NFL season is uh, gearing up this weekend. We're heading to a break. Come back with our final segment for this Friday edition of the Leach Report. Final segment of our show for this Friday, and our Wildcat history note comes from 1977. Kentucky is coming off its first bowl in 25 years. They had won the Peach Bowl at the end of the 76 season down in Atlanta and uh, finished up uh, with an eighth win. And still, not uh, a whole lot was expected beyond maybe something similar to that in 77. And Kentucky struggled on this day in 1977 to get past North Car- North Carolina in the opener and win 10-7. to But that team was, as we would find out, just loaded, and uh, they got better week to week. By midseason, they were just pummeling SEC teams like LSU and Georgia and went on to a 10-1 and season. But it started this day with a narrow win over North Carolina. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll see you on Monday on the Leach Report. Thanks for listening to The Leach Report. Make sure you check out the podcast page at TomLeachKY.com whenever you miss a show. And be sure to follow The Leach Report Facebook page. If you have a question for Tom, email it to 